0: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. Miles, today we're going to be getting the Cosmos perspective. We're going to be talking to Aiden Salzman of Stride and Felix Lutch. Felix, as as he, we will refer to him throughout this episode, is sort of the godfather of, of liquid staking as the author of the original delegation vouchers paper that you and I have referred to several times throughout this season from 2019. So this will be a really fun one.
1: I'm excited. Yeah, we get... Kind of a history lesson of really the origins of liquid staking from from Felix, um, who has had a great perspective because Course One's been very active in both Cosmos and Lido on the Ethereum side, and then Aiden, who is really building on the cutting edge of liquid staking protocols today, um, and can kind of provide a preview of what other liquid staking protocols might be thinking about in a few months or years down the road when some of these ideas inevitably, you know, translate over to other ecosystems.
0: And guys, when you're, when you're listening to this, what I want you to listen for, and we'll talk about it in the recap a little bit is this tension in between flattening out the governance of liquid staking protocols and allowing users to decide when The risk there is that maybe you get sort of an adverse outcome in terms of what your validator set ends up looking like, or liquid staking uh, protocols actually being a permanent stakeholder and having an opinion, which could lead to decentralization uh, of the validator set. So I want you to listen for that tension. We're going to talk about it during the actual podcast and then recap. And I also want you to listen for uh, the parts about fungibility of the protocol that comes in right at the end, but that I think is an extremely important part of the episode as well.
1: Pumped to get into it. Hey, everyone.
0: We've got a great episode here. But before we do, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Permissionless. This is the biggest and best conference in all of DeFi. It's the one that we do with Bankless, who's a great partner for us. Last year, we had almost 7,000 people there in West Palm Beach. We are moving this year to Austin, Texas from September 11th through the 13th. And if you are a listener of Bell Curve, any of these last five seasons, this conference is basically custom made for you. We're going to be talking about liquid staking, the theme of this season. We've got a bunch of great panels on MEV. If you listen to the app chain thesis, we've got a bunch of Cosmos folks out there in full force. We're talking about the converging architecture of Solana, the roll-up space in ETH. And Cosmos. So I would love to see all of you there. And to reward you for being such great listeners to Bell Curve, you get a special 30% off code. It's Bell Curve30. That'll get you 30% off tickets. Click the link in the show notes and then head over to the permissionless site and make sure that you get your ticket today. Again, that is Bellcurve 30. Click the link in the show notes. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. Today Miles and jo- Miles and I are joined by Felix Lutch and Aiden Salzman. Guys, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: This is going to be an exciting episode um, where we're going to dive into some of the big questions that we've been asking about liquid staking uh, from the perspective of what's going on in the Cosmos ecosystem. And as per usual, as Miles and I note in this show, oftentimes some of the big questions that are being asked in Ethereum, uh, the Cosmos ecosystems tends to be six to 12 months ahead. So hopefully we're actually going to get some answers uh, and some early a- attempts at experimentation for solving some of the big things that we've been talking about this season. But before we get into that, uh, we've referenced several times this season that the first person to post something publicly about liquid staking was, in fact, Felix Lutch. Uh, so I don't want to call you the, the godfather Felix of liquid <laughs> staking, but uh, one, might, one might describe that title to you. So can you kind of take us back to that blog post that you wrote and what you were thinking when you sort of outlined delegation vouchers and kind of the history of liquid staking and then any surprises in terms of how it's evolved up to this point?
2: Right. Yeah, totally. And yeah, again, thanks for having me on. Really been a long time coming. So this post I think is at some point in 2019, right? Or so um, we've been quite kind of circling around liquid staking since like four years now. And it really, I think got like a lot of traction this year, obviously with Light already last two years, but I think now with you guys like covering it, there's, there's a lot more eyes on it and, and a lot of people like interested, a lot more um you know protocols being built around liquid staking at that time when we wrote the post it was more that proof of stake was basically just emerging and there was the the sort of delegation model in cosmos so you had this concept of okay you have the validators and then you have the token holders that like sort of just delegate their votes to to validators and and this sort of principle existed in cosmos already but also in other networks like Tezos and uh, given we were like one of the first staking providers, we were kind of looking at, you know, how was like the similarities between these models or how can it can it be evolved? And uh, at the same time, while we were writing this, actually, there was basically the DeFi summer in Ethereum uh, starting to go on. And uh, being in Berlin, I was in, in full node with Brian, uh, CEO, of course, and we were like kind of observing some of the initial defi protocols uh, and their designs so like one notable one is like compound which which has this idea of the c tokens where essentially you deposit your tokens and you receive this this c token in return that kind of represents your position in the compound protocol and we realized oh this this is very similar to what you could do in in proof of stake with um, with the validator delegations essentially and we foresaw that there would be like a sort of merging between DeFi and, and liquid staking at some point, since sort of like, I guess what we were always thinking is that staking is kind of the base layer of, of these networks and it's kind of like a financial activity. And then people will want to like hedge their risk or manage their risk in, in various ways. And, and to do that, you will require like uh, some sort of more flexibility than what the, the core protocols often offer. And um, as like sort of through that brainstorming, we were part of this hackathon in, uh hack adam actually in berlin like a very cool uh one of the earliest cosmos hackathons and um worked together with sunny and Dev from uh back then sika now osmosis obviously uh, on this concept of of delegation voucher so basically just taking it one step further from just having the, the delegation structure in the code but actually turning it into like a token that when you when you delegate you receive like a validator specific liquid staking token let's say uh and that you could then always like convert back um uh according to this mechanism that's here on the screen right now for those that, that watch the the youtube um video and um yeah that's really where it started and then I sort of realized oh wow, there is like such a big design space there uh in this in this um world, and we saw like slowly like projects emerge like some of them including like thesteakdow julian's uh, idea for Tezos. There was also um, stater and some some other projects that are all covered in in the Liquid Staking report that I later wrote. So I was kind of realizing, oh, we need like this is a big topic. We need we should be making like a working group to kind of talk about this and figure out what the right way is to like implement Liquid Staking or where it's going and what the risks are. And that ultimately turned into Liquid Staking report that is then later I think probably like a year later I released um, and. So there I go into like sort of the benefits of liquid staking, but why it's needed, sort of like the comparison to staking with centralized exchanges and the powers of centralized exchanges and why liquid staking is sort of a potentially force for decentralization, but also the risks in terms of like what happens when you sort of over-financialize maybe the, the staking positions and, and sort of what, what are the problems that can emerge there? I'm sure we'll, we'll go into a lot of these in, in the episode. Yeah. Um, and I want to I want to bookmark and
0: return to this idea of liquid staking as a force for decentralization. Like we're going to spend some time later in the episode talking about that. But can you just kind of walk us through, Felix? At the time, what was the response initially to this idea? Because now we've all sort of taken it as this given liquid staking is one of the few things, especially over in Ethereum, that is really working and chugging along, you know, sort of despite market conditions. But Um, you know, I I imagine there was some pushback. We've had Dave on the program before, and Dave has some very particular thoughts about liquid staking, I would say. So what was some of the initial feedback? And then one question, Miles and I, we're we're looking at this initial diagram that you drew um, between the user the validator pool and the validator. And actually, we noticed that there was a conversion ratio of two atoms per one voucher. So we're wondering if uh, initially the idea for liquid staking was that you would, for instance, in the steth metaphor, you deposit two ETH, you get one steth back. And if you had actually thought that through, just a small, small question there. We've been wondering.
2: Yeah. So what we were, why this number is more just like illustrative, but like it was clear that sort of because you earn the rewards, the, we we sort of were thinking in delegations vouch- vouchers of this model that's not rebasing. So basically, like the conversion ratio of one liquid uh, delegation voucher would. Um, increase, like, in terms of the pure Atom. So that's that's what this kind of represents, like, in, in case of, like, let's say this delegation voucher system was running for a while, then it might be that at some point, you know, one voucher represents, like, two Atom. Um, so this was just uh, for illustrative purposes there. And then, um, I guess, the pushback, right? I think at that time, specifically, most of the people in proof of stake, were, I would say, were, like, protocol developers or very, like, deep engineering um p- people folks in general and so their thinking is like i i would say like pretty extremely long term around the health of the protocol and like sort of attack scenarios of of uh you know uh percent or 66 percent attacks and then how they could come about or how an attacker might abuse the proof of stake system so i think there there is some pushback there that you know liquid staking might introduce this sort of uh kind of too powerful thing that like all the stake aggregates in this, in the liquid, st- in one specific liquid staking protocol, and, and that this then sort of has power uh, over the protocol, um, which is certainly, I think, like probably the biggest pushback. Um, and then, yeah, many would probably also just say, hey, it's not really needed, no one really needs this or, or something like this. But I think in terms of like why, what's dangerous, this was it is probably the main point and I think the the thing is that protocol, I think at that time, many were thinking, oh, we can sort of restrict this in the protocol and like sort of design the protocol in a way to make it very hard to do this potentially. But given we have like smart contract capabilities, we have centralized exchanges, we have so much infrastructure and the market generally, I guess is my opinion and, and, and sort of is proven over time that like kind of strives for this capital efficiency, there will be ways that can kind of circumvent these uh, restrictions and those um will be very successful so i think like my personal opinion and i guess we might also get back to this is that in the end the protocol if it's like successful enough will have to deal with these uh issues and and might be better off like sort of enshrining it like as, as you say or like putting it native into the protocol um these liquid staking uh Kind of systems to to avoid having captured by some external party too much, um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure that's like probably like one of the core topics we're going to talk about. So I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, and I think we can definitely get into a little bit of that later, especially with the liquid staking module coming, um, which is essentially a version of what you just described. But um, maybe just to stay back in the era, you know, the 2019 2020 era. Um, when you wrote this paper, Ethereum was still proof of work. I think you know the Beacon Chain was on its way, but it was not yet live. Um, and so, I guess to ask directly, why do you think you know this concept took off on Ethereum when it originated in Cosmos and? You know, liquid staking is now alive and thriving in Cosmos, thanks to folks like Aiden here. Um, But it has taken a while. Um, So, yeah, I would just love to, you know, as somebody that was deeply involved in both the Cosmos side, as well as one of the early validators of Lido, um, you know, I think you have a great perspective to to kind of look back and do a, a retrospect here.
2: Yeah, what also almost like surprised me, I think we were like, I guess in Cosmos, the main where many of the people in Cosmos are validators or like sort of have a deep understanding of proof of stake and like infrastructure versus on the Ethereum where the actual like community was more DeFi, maybe an NFTs and and all these applications sort of smart contract developers. And I think we were in in a way, Cosmos was thinking early about this concept because many of the folks were like on that layer, but then sort of the adoption from the applications is missing in Cosmos. and, And I think like liquid staking, relies a lot on having that to to be useful and and also that the difference being on ethereum that you actually don't have a delegation model so it's very hard to stake your eth if you're if you just have eth and you're like a normal person you don't want to run the infrastructure there's very few ways to actually engage and um like in essentially Lido or like liquid staking brought this model to ethereum in the first place and then obviously also the other point being that um Given there, the merge hasn't happened, so like this kind of gradual rollout of, of staking, of proof of stake in Ethereum meant that um, there's a long period where you, if you stake normally, like um, you couldn't actually get liquidity on your staked assets. And, and Lido uh, was able to kind of provide some, some liquidity for people that might want to withdraw through the curve pool and like incentivizing that heavily to like uh, maintain the pack between STETH and ETH. Uh, for the first year until the merge and 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 sort of that uh, I think is a very big value proposition that just wasn't there in Cosmos and maybe still is less there Uh, also like now in Ethereum it's less there but I guess now Lido already has like such a market share there's not there's other fact or like other forces at play I think that keep it uh very interesting in, in Ethereum also like again the the just greater amount of liquidity and more DeFi activity going on that right. sort of pushes liquid staking a bit more.
1: Right. So it kind of sounds like the perfect storm where you have a combination of you know higher barriers to entry to actually participate in validating. Um, you have this you know l- lack of liquidity even beyond a 21 day on bonding period. It was you know at earliest a couple of years, and then you know you actually have higher amounts of utility through you know an early DeFi you know, ecosystem where you could replicate some of the benefits of what you'd be able to do on a centralized exchange. Whereas that in Cosmos just took a little bit longer to develop. Is that kind of a fair summary?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe also to add like literally from the like experience as a node operator trying to get started on Ethereum, you know, we were lucky enough to like uh, be connected with a lot of folks early and sort of participating in that. But in in the terms of like offering a, Staking as a service for Ethereum outside of these protocols is actually quite a hard task. You need to build a lot of infrastructure like API or some sort of product that allows people to stake even just 32 ETH with you, which is a very cumbersome activity. And it's basically like an entire team that needs to build something like this. And this is also something that why... There aren't that many staking products on Ethereum, even from node operators, right? You need basically a team of like twenty plus to to be able to support such a such a product. And um, in 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 Cosmos, it's very different, right? You just register your validator. You can be one dude in the in the basement, and and you can receive delegation. So that's uh, much more um, sort of uh, easy, yeah, lower barrier to entry, like you like you mentioned.
1: I think that totally makes sense. And maybe just shifting gears a little bit towards uh, i think we want to get your perspective on just the relationship between liquid staking protocols and you know professional validators um because i think it's it's very interesting that it seems like you know lido was developed by p2p um of course one was very early in in getting involved there and you know you've uh were very involved in the development of quicksilver on the cosmos side and it seems like you know as a you from the seat of a validator you can look at liquid staking protocols as you know, at the time, probably an existential threat, um, but also, you know, one of the best distribution channels that you could you could imagine, right? Um, it's just, they take care of all the BD for you, um, and you have plenty of, you know, ways to use your these liquid staking tokens, and you can just kind of get into the set and um, receive deposits. But of course, that's a much lower share than if you were to receive 100% of those deposits, um, like you would in traditional staking. And so, You know, I'll actually pose this to both of you guys, but, you know, how do you guys view the relationship between validators and and LST protocols um, today? And and what was it like back then when some of these were, you know, just getting started?
2: I'll start and maybe Aidan can add, like, his view from the other side. I think my, yeah, our perspective, I think what's interesting is, right, there is, like, this sort of conflict, like you said, when you're on the node operator side where you sort of understand deeply the staking mechanism. And I guess that led many to... Sort of get involved in liquid staking in some way, uh, also developing protocols there. But then once they are there, you have this sort of conflict that okay, now I have to basically, or spread my stake across these different providers, like in most of the cases, right? Um, and that sort of makes it less attractive. You you would rather have someone like stake directly with you. I do think that though, given this, this depends also on the size of the node operator. For for many, I think liquid staking is actually or like it's it's one of the best yeah, distribution methods and also like force for decentralization where before that you basically have the foundations which basically bootstrap the, the validators often. So there is a foundation of a certain protocol. They have maybe like 10, 20% of the tokens and they will like pick the node operators that provide value to the ecosystem and sort of distribute the stake across them. I think that was like the first entity where which many um, like smaller operators that don't have like big marketing budgets or BD uh rely on that that sort of um existed and then liquid staking protocols is, is sort of a extension of that where now it's also it's very focused on this specific staking use case the foundation generally has like a lo- lot of other um kind of things to do and it's also like not profit oriented so the liquid staking protocol is more like i guess a product um that has its users or like the 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 yield and and the safety of the protocol more in mind and it's actually I think doing often a better job than the foundation at like sort of picking the best operators. And so, uh, from the perspective of the network, I think that's very, that's actually desirable. And then as a node operator, um, yeah, for, I, again, for many, it's actually a very, very nice. Um, yeah. Uh, way to get some stake, And I think many like desire to be in, in one of these sets. Um, and, um, but then the very big ones, they have like sort of this problem that, oh, now i actually would rather have people stake directly with me and there are a few um ways where how this can be achieved like for example stakewise uh, v3 is an interesting model that allows a little bit to the node operators to retain this ability by having these faults that you basically stake directly with an operator but you can get still get a liquid staking asset by essentially collateralizing these validator specific positions and and that's, I think an interesting model that that works for large node operators uh, and still kind of gives their clients the ability to still like opt into liquid staking if they would want to. So again, I think, yeah, again, in general, the liquid staking design space is quite, quite large and um, overall I would say, yeah, very interesting uh, for validators, but. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I think it's a really interesting question. Maybe one of the most interesting between, uh, on the relationship between liquid staking protocols and validators. Um, so when I think about liquid-saking, my assumption is, I, I'm obviously very biased as a founder of a liquid-saking protocol, but my assumption is that liquid staking will go to like 80 to 100 um, percent. There's So I think Felix and Miles, you both brought up some really good points around why it took longer for liquid-saking to take off in Cosmos. So there's this cold start problem with DeFi. You know, ETH was very liquid. You could use it. Um, so DeFi was bootstrapped and then uh, Steeth demand was... Uh, was there because DeFi existed. Um, like you said, it's also easier to stake in Cosmos. So it's uh, if if you're a bit more crypto-native, maybe you just go and delegate your stake to a validator. Um, whereas on Ethereum, it's it's pretty challenging to run a node. Um, and there are, there are also some technical reasons why it took a bit longer on Cosmos. So the Cosmos hub didn't have smart contracts. Uh, but there were actually places in Cosmos that liquid-staking did take off. So... In the uh, Terra ecosystem, which was a Cosmos SDK chain, um, I think B-Luna launched, uh, it was a Lido LST, and it launched um, sometime in 2020 or 2021. Um, but my assumption is that in spite of all of these these challenges in Cosmos, having liquidity and yield is such an attractive value proposition for end users that liquid staking probably will go to 80 to 100%. Uh, so therefore, it is it is a pretty important question for validators. But when I think about how validators and liquid-staking protocols interact, liquid-staking protocols, I think are just larger entities that validators can attract stake from. So they can go and attract stake from uh, little fish like you or I, or they could go after a big whale, um, or they could go after a liquid-staking protocol. And there are different strategies for validators to attract stake from each of these entities. So although liquid-staking protocols might take a cut of the yield, uh, they can also, in some cases, attract so much more stake from a liquid staking protocol that I think it, it outweighs that. <clears throat> um, but for uh, for large validators in particular, I think it's a bit of an interesting question because in delegated proof of stake, especially, stake is skewed to the top of the set. So I think uh, in a previous podcast, you and Hasu were discussing this, where validators can only really differentiate on a couple of dimensions uh, the main ones being brand and yield. So being at the top of the set is a really strong indicator that the validator is good. Um, and most, most users don't go and stake to the bottom of the set. I mean, we see this empirically. like 90% of stake is with uh, distributed across the top 10 validators in most delegated proof-of-stake chains. Um, so in that sense, liquid-staking protocols might take some stake away from the top validators and redistribute it across the set. Um, But if liquid-staking protocols are well-designed, then I think they can be distribution channels for good validators. So it might be a a little bit of a reframing from uh, like taking away stake from the largest validators to distributing stake across validators that are really good. Um, Because some validators at the top of the set are really good, um, but there are also really good validators at the bottom of the set. And then defining this question of what is good and rating validators on a scale is a real challenge, and I'm sure we'll get into this more later. Um, but I would reframe it slightly as uh, as a redistribution to um, validators that the Liquid Staking Protocol has defined as good. Maybe that's decentralization. Um, uh, maybe it's geographical diversity. There's all kinds of attributes you can think about. Hmm.
0: I actually do want to push into that a little bit right now, Aiden, actually, because I feel like this is a very important conversation that's happening again over in Ethereum land with Lido and the staking router. And that's what we're trying to move towards here, right, which is a more decentralized validator set. That's what everyone sort of wants to see. So can we actually get into that idea of you know, how uh, the, the presence of a liquid staking provider Uh, like a stride, might actually counteract some of those sort of natural market forces that concentrates stake in the very top sort of echelon of validators?
3: Yeah. So I start from the assumption that on most blockchain networks, 90% roughly of network power occurs to maybe the top 10 entities. And I think this is roughly true for most proof of stake and proof of work chains, If you look at Bitcoin, there's large mining pools. If you look at proof of stake stake chains, uh, specifically delegated proof of stake chains, most stake is uh, accrues to the top 10 entities. Um, And maybe there's like a little bit of uncertainty here. Maybe a chain can really push on decentralization and they can get this stake distributed across 15 entities. Uh, Or maybe they care a little bit less and it's only distributed across five. But for the most part, uh, stake does follow this sort of power law distribution to the top of the set. Um, and I think this is where liquid staking protocols can really help decentralize the network. So it is, I think it's a big reframing, uh, as LSPs, as a decentralizing force, typically when we've talked about liquid staking protocols, We focus on all of the risks of liquid-staking protocols, and there are some centralization risks. So for example, if a liquid-staking protocol is hacked, that would be really bad for the network. Um, This particular argument has never uh, really resonated with me, given lots of things can be hacked in networks. For example, um, the core staking logic in a chain can also be hacked. Um, But there there are definitely some centralizing forces and risks. but if you look just empirically at how liquid staking protocols or good liquid staking protocols distribute their stake across sets, the distribution is typically more decentralized. And then, you know, there's a question of how you actually define decentralization, but the stake is more um, distributed across a broader set of validators that hopefully are differentiated on things like, um, clients, geogra- uh, geographical diversity, um, jurisdictions, um, all of these things. Uh, I think uh, actually John um, Carboneau had this presentation at Modular Summit where he was looking at uh, Lido's stake distribution um, versus Ethereum's. And like any normal observer can look at this and tell which one is more distributed. Uh, So, I think there is uh, there's a lot of potential for liquid staking protocols to distribute stake much more broadly um, across sets.
1: I think that's really important um, because the I think the assumption or at least the narrative last year um, and is starting to change is all about the self limiting debate, right? Like this is okay. Lido's become too big at this point, um, but a lot of people just there's two ways to look at lido you could look at it as one entity um because governance right is just one entity and it controls a lot there or you could look at it as you know a distribution of what is it now like 30 30 30-ish right um entities that are actually you know operating the underlying stake and are diversified geographically different clients right and i think that that does you know pose like a pretty stark picture when you look at lido compared to the rest of ethereum um and on the Cosmos side, it's a little bit different because you actually have the ability, right, to delegate your stake to the validator that you want um, versus Ethereum. The assumption is that the next validator will be some, you know, solo staker that has their own 32 ETH and that every validator, you know, every net new stake that enters the system will further decentralize the system, which we know is actually not true. Um but how would you, how do you view kind of like this the difference between a delegated proof of stake network and you know what we have on Ethereum and maybe the role of, of LSTs um, in in comparing you know the role of LSTs on both systems because I think that they kind of address different problems um, because with the delegated proof of stake you give the users your choice but you know how that actually ends up looking. Um, and it's very, very transparent how it looks, right? But with on Ethereum, I think it's a little bit less transparent. It's a little bit more opaque how these same forces actually do translate and extend over to Ethereum. But yeah, I'll kind of pose that question to the group. Um, you know, basically how do we shift this narrative on, on both both ecosystems?
2: What I found interesting, and I think is also on the modular summit actually, or like I, I think somewhere was that you know, some Some people are like arguing essentially also for the decentralized so sequencing right is also like a topic now where they think about okay we're going from a single sequencer to like decentralizing which essentially is like again pretty much the same if you look at it at a high level than any proof of stake network and then i guess proof of stake is sort of the easiest kind of solution that achieves some sort of distribution because you're just saying hey let the market do its thing here it's like a financial thing and then you have on the other side of the spectrum maybe like a system where the governance decided and now whatever governance means i guess it can be that you just have a proof of authority chain where the the project founders say hey you five people run it or it's like some token voting within that dao of that project or the way it is in Lido where all the existing operators have like one vote to like uh do new onboardings of operators or potentially even, you know, some algorithmic solution that tries to distribute the stake across uh, operators. And I think, you know, I, I guess from my side, um, yeah, all these different models should somehow exist. And uh, I guess the the users uh, will decide what's best. I think it's also like kind of Vasily's core argument last year on, on ETC, where Lido had like a lot of backlash from the Ethereum community, sort of, oh, you're a danger to the ecosystem but then it's like hey you know ETH holders decide what's what's best you know and then i think that's i i definitely subscribe to that too so you know let these uh solutions compete and um then sort of the best will win out i think if, if you're like kind of forcing one solution on on the system there will probably emerge like some some like sort of protocol that will try to kind of introduce differences and and i think that's actually healthy uh for the ecosystem at large so um for people that think you know oh, well, Lido, we need to like shut it down i guess that's that would be my sort of framing that you know um it, it just because if lido goes away it wouldn't be that like suddenly like 30 percent home stakers appear and, and stake their eth but it would probably be some other entity that potentially is worse uh because like lido is actually you know everything's sort of open source and and very um contributing to this. so I think having that those um, these forces is, is very important
0: I have a I have a question because this is something I've been curious about this entire season which is so the Vasily core argument of the eth holder should just decide right the you know uh we had Sriram on an early episode of this season and he mentioned something very similar the demand side of middleware operators that want to opt into that system they should just decide the, the issue though is that at the current stage of where we are at in crypto is, I think, if you just blanket allowed users to decide, you'd end up with some pretty negative outcomes. So, I think what we're saying on this podcast is that actually, liquid staking tokens, part of the value prop that they can do is they can exert some sort of opinion on the validators, right? They're this really valuable distribution channel. The state of, you know, per John Charbonneau's uh, discussion at Modular Summit, the validator set that Lido, if you look at Lido's validator set versus ETH in general, it's actually a, sort of a source for good because it's more decentralized. But in that, you're implicitly admitting the sort of power that liquid staking token networks have, right? And I think that is really the core crux of the question. And it's, you know, we're referencing John Charb here. He came out with another recent piece. We're recording this on. Monday, August, August 7th. So this piece came out about an hour ago, so we haven't had the full time to digest it. But it's just very interesting, again, the, I I think it's very, like a lot of the arguments that are happening specifically right now in roll up land, I think the correct mental model actually is Cosmos chains, because they're going through a lot of this very similar sort of experimentation. Um, And my, my question is, what happens? So maybe Aiden, I'll direct this to you as the operator of a liquid staking protocol what happens if the decentralization that you would want to see in your validator set runs counter to market forces? And what I mean by that is what if you actually have a market of users that want just the top five validators? And no matter how many times you try to cycle through this idea of decentralization or promoting other smaller validators, what your customers are telling you is, I really just want to be with with the big guys here, I mean, how do you, how do you balance if market forces go against what we all want to see
3: in terms of decentralization? Yeah, that's that's a really a really good question. I don't think I have uh, an answer to it, but I'll, I'll give some thoughts. So, I think one um, one the first thing I'll say is I think that is mostly correct. I think end stakers actually don't really care about which validator they're delegating to except for these two things they want brand which i think you can just swap out for safety and then they want yield so really they just want like the best risk adjusted return across validators that they can get Um, and the the simple way to do this is to assume that the top 10 validators are the safest and then just you know like sort them based on one or two things such as uh such as yield Um, but I think it might actually not be totally correct that the top five or ten validators really are the uh, the safest um, or the least prone to slashing things like that. So I think uh, one way that you can sort of combat this is by introducing a new layer of abstraction between users and validators. Um, and there's, there's different ways that you could approach this. So one simple way that this is done today is through liquid staking. You know, when you mint a liquid staking token, when you deposit an atom or an ether or, or an ETH into a liquid staking protocol, you just get an ST atom or an ST ETH back. And, uh, there are some liquid staking protocols where you do choose a validator at delegation. Um, but for the most part, you, you don't, um, There are other ways where, uh, so I think osmosis has been working on a protocol where you can have validator set preferences. So rather than saying like, I want this validator, you can express a preference that says, I want a validator that is geographically distributed, uh, um, or I want my stake to be distributed across validators that have never been slashed. So there are preferences that, that you can express so i want to get into the the liquid staking
0: module here but one one idea another question that miles and i have been sort of recurrently asking throughout this season is uh, are there parts of the protocol that you might be able to if this is a winner take all market or a winner take most market which which miles and i have sort of been asking and assuming that that's correct are there parts of the protocol that you could actually ossify so the way this gets talked about sort of over in ETH land is dual governance, right? And allowing uh holders actually some amount of of say over core decisions or the ability to veto essentially. But but something else I found myself wondering, even and this seems very technically complex. So I don't know how you would actually do this, but is there a way that you could give some sort of guarantee that and ossify this directly into either the protocol or the liquid staking module the the design of it that you actually say you know we can maybe this is a good time to get into the liquid staking module because there's a cap uh you know from my understanding um on the amount of staked atom that you can have but maybe you could actually bake in some sort of distribution and set of logic or rules that you know we will not allow the validator set to be you know above x concentration right is that something that you could actually design into these protocols so that you wouldn't have to necessarily trust aid in the operator of Stride, but I could trust the way that the product is constructed.
3: Yeah, I think it is something that you can bake in, although it gets close to something that I think you can't bake in uh, or, or ossify. Um, so the only, or the, the, the most challenging thing to ossify in liquid-staking protocols is, in my opinion, the validator selection mechanism. Basically everything else can be fully ossified, Um, but validator selection is, uh, there's a very human element to validator selection. Um, One trivial way to think about it is as validator sets change over time, someone has to tell the liquid staking protocol how the validator set has changed. Um, So let's say, you know, today we say like, um, validator A is in Europe, validator B is in the U.S. And then we have some notion of how to distribute stake across these two entities. Um, in a few years, if validators A and B are long gone and now we have validators C and D uh, there has to be some human in the loop that is telling the liquid staking protocol uh, what the attributes of these validators are. Um, so then I think you can sort of break it up into a delegation strategy. So thinking about um, Know, how a liquid staking protocol distributes stake across validators with different different attributes, um, and then there's a second question, which is how do you um, how do you assign these attributes to different validators? Uh, and I think they're they're challenging in in different ways. Um, the second question hasn't really been broached yet. I think for the most part, liquid staking protocols assume that. Validator operators are honest in some ways. Like if they say they're in a in a in a certain geography, um, maybe they run some checks, but um, you kind of trust them that they're that they're doing what they say. Um, but I, I do think this will become more challenging through time. And then the the first part of this, which is can a liquid staking protocol just ossify the delegation strategy? I think it could, but I don't know if it would be a great idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one reason is, uh, like the world (laughs) changes through time. So, uh, like for that simple reason, you'd probably want your liquid staking protocol to be flexible enough to update delegation strategies based on real things that are happening in the world. Um, and there's, there's a spectrum of ways that you could update this. It could be, uh, on the very conservative end, it could be super infrequent, um, or on the more aggressive end, Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's more frequent, um, but even, uh, yeah, so I, I don't think it's it's possible to fully, fully ossify a validator selection, although pretty much everything else you probably can.
1: I think I agree with that. I would say maybe just to push back, the only, I guess, path to ossifying that is, that I see would be just to give that uh, ability to the user and then find a way to, you know, wrap these non-fungible positions into a, a larger pool and then don't touch it. Um, And i think that this gets into really you know part of what the liquid staking module is is trying to do um and it's probably a good time to shift there so i know felix you you alluded to it earlier but you know there's always been this question of can we bake some sort of you know way to mint liquid staking tokens into the chain itself um in a way that the chain is aware that they are being minted um, and aware of, you know, or, or maybe opinionated about how users can delegate that stake. Um, and the liquid staking module is getting at this. Uh, and, and I think, you know, just to give kind of a, a preview of why we think it's important, we've been talking a lot about, you know, ability on Ethereum and with Lido, if this could ever be, you know, uh, an option for stakers to delegate to a staking module of their choice. That is more or less, uh, you know, a version of this is being implemented right now in in Cosmos. And so, you know, Aiden, I know you've been very involved in the the development of the liquid staking module. Um, and I would just love if you could kind of walk us through what it is, um, you know, what the what the flow looks like for a user, and then where stride comes in, I guess, you know, after the initial minting of this position. And, and I'm actually going to ask you to go
0: for, for folks who might be listening, Aiden, that aren't exactly sure what these modules are sort of in Cosmos lane. Could you even just describe what a module is relative to Cosmos and then we can into the
3: the liquid staking one? Definitely. So starting with this idea of a module in many general purpose, smart contract chains, The base layer is abstracted from most end application developers. So you have this clear delineation of infrastructure code and application code. For example, Ethereum, Solana, any other smart contract platform, there's one set of developers that works on infrastructure. And then typically there's a mostly uh, disjoint set of developers that builds applications on top of that. And in Cosmos, the lines are much more blurry. So because uh, there's this design philosophy of creating application specific blockchains where the infrastructure and the application are interwoven to make the application better. Um, the technical architecture of, uh, of these chains is a little bit different. So the idea of a module is just, it's one specific piece of either infrastructure or application code that, uh, that lives on the chain. Um, so you might have a module for staking. So when you stake to a validator, some logic needs to happen under the hood. And uh, in fact, there is a, a, a Cosmos module which just handles staking. There's another module which handles slashing. Um, so if validators misbehave, this code will uh, will deal with slashing validators and stakers. Um, uh, Osmosis has a module that deals with swaps. Um, so it has all of the AMM logic uh, embedded within that module. So a module is just like one piece of infrastructure and application code uh, that uh, is bundled um, and lives at the actual protocol layer. Uh, so it's, it's not built on top of the protocol as a smart contract. It's actually baked into the protocol itself. Um, and it it lets uh, developers have a little bit more um, flexibility in how they build things and sort of a nice uh, abstraction.
0: That's really helpful explanation there. So I th- that's just sort of helpful context now for setting up specifically the liquid staking modules, so then sort of a, just Miles' question there. Could you just describe what that is? And then maybe we can get into the user flow of like where the liquid staking
3: module ends and where Stride begins sort of. So the liquid staking module is one of these infrastructure application modules. And the idea is that the liquid staking module will be built into the Cosmos hub itself. Um, You could build it into any Cosmos blockchain, um, but the Cosmos hub probably be the first. So I think we've talked a lot about why LSTs matter in Cosmos. Um, Maybe one thing that we haven't touched on yet, Cosmos has very low liquidity, uh, but there is lots of stake. Um, And stake rates are also typically much, uh, or staking yield is typically much higher on Cosmos. So DeFi is extra challenging. Not only is there the cold start problem, but no one wants to use a token that has like a twenty or thirty percent yield as collateral. So, for this reason, uh, I think LSTs can kickstart DeFi in Cosmos. But as Felix pointed out, there are lots of risks with LSTs, and especially for Cosmos, which I think is one of the first um, was one of the first ecosystems to really engage with um, with proof of stake. Um, and specifically BFT systems on a really deep level. I think there's a lot of skepticism around liquid staking tokens um, because it's it's taking something that is really uh, core to the, to, to the ecosystem overall. So LSM or the liquid staking module attempts to solve two problems. Uh, and it starts from a couple of assumptions. So the first is that the risks associated with liquid staking aren't very well understood. Um, there are some logical arguments why liquid staking is good or bad, but it's been pretty hard to quantify some of these risks. Um, I think there's, you know, Felix did a lot of work on this in the initial report, um, but I haven't seen uh, really in-depth rigorous analysis on this since then, and it's been years, um, I think this is starting back up again. Um, you know, for example, with this podcast, lots of people are, are talking about liquid staking and trying to quantify these risks. But today, the fact of the matter is it's uh, it's just not very well understood. Um, And the the second thing that is a bit unique about the structure of Cosmos is once there's a lot of native stake, liquid staking is hard because stakers have to unbond. So it's going to take to to onboard lots of liquid stake. Everyone's going to have to unbond their tokens and forgo weeks of yield. And this is a really painful process. So given these two assumptions, uh, or these are the, these are sort of the foundational assumptions that led to LSM. Um, so maybe diving into how to best think about LSM. I think LSM is best understood as a form of regulation on liquid staking providers, it creates a safety framework. Um, and there are lots of governance control parameters to modulate the safety framework through time. Um, but it creates a safety framework to help regulate the adoption of liquid staking. Um, So this sort of addresses the first problem of the risks of liquid staking are just not well understood. LSM or liquid staking module creates a a framework to regulate liquid staking providers. Um, And then second, it lets stakers liquid stake instantly. Um, And this might sound a bit uh, sort of counterintuitive, like why would Stride um, be supporting something that uh, it sounds like it's in direct competition with the protocol, um, but the way that liquid the liquid staking module lets users liquid stake is it gives them a liquid staking token um, that is an NFT that is specific to the validator that they delegated to. So it does let users unbond their stake instantly, but in return, they get this NFT that is not composable or really useful in DeFi. Um, so... If you think about the liquid staking module, I would say it's closer to infrastructure than it is application code. It is built into the base layer of Cosmos, and it does technically let users uh, or stakers liquid stake. But in return, because you get this NFT, there's not a whole lot that you can go do with it. If you take this, uh, this NFT that you get, you can't go to a lending protocol or osmosis to use it as collateral or swap it. Um, because it's not fungible with, with other liquid staking tokens. Um, so that's, that's sort of a high-level summary of, uh, why LSM was built and
2: how I think about it and, uh, a little bit of, of what it is under the hood. Maybe actually what I'm wondering is, is the, are these NFTs per validator fungible or like?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, sort of. Uh, so the slashing risk is fungible. Um, if, if you and I both hold, um, a liquid staking token NFT for chorus one and chorus one is slashed, both of our tokens will be slashed. Um, but they are NFTs. So, uh, they're not totally fungible. Like the yield for my tokens goes to my address, the yield for your tokens goes to your address. Um. But this, I think this sort of illustrates the point that these things are really challenging to explain and they were designed with liquid staking protocols as the end consumers in mind rather than users like you and I.
1: That's super interesting. And maybe just before we jump to, I guess, where stride comes in, um, I'm curious if you could just speak to some of these risk parameters that you mentioned, uh, that are, you know, customizable through governance. Um, you know, I think going back to the self-limiting debate, uh, it sounds like that could actually, you know, something like that could be baked into the chain's logic itself, um, as well as, you know, making sure that some uh, validators are not getting all of the delegations, right, that is that are minted through this uh, liquid staking module. And so we'd just love to hear, like, kind of what are these, what is the regulation uh, and the parameters around it that, that you're referring to here specifically?
3: Like I mentioned, there's really two components to the liquid-staking module. The first is acceleration of liquid-staking adoption. Um, so uh, I, th- I think we'll talk about this later. This is where Stride and uh, the liquid-staking module sort of meet um, on the, and then the, the risk mitigation is the second part of the liquid-staking module. And when the liquid-staking module was first proposed, there were a bunch of different types of risk that were talked about. Like I said, none of these were perfectly quantified. Um, but uh, we, along with iClusion, Zaki, um, the Osmosis team, lots of Cosmos ecosystem participants, were trying to think from first principles about what different types of risks liquid Staking could introduce. And uh, there were three or four main categories that we thought about. And the liquid Staking module doesn't try to address all of them, but it does address some of them. Um, so Two of them are uh, governance risk, as well as vote power concentration risk. So governance risk is the idea that if a liquid-staking provider gets more than, say, uh, one-third of the total stake supply on a chain, that liquid-staking protocol could actually halt the chain um, because Cosmos relies on um, two-thirds of uh, validator signing blocks for liveness. So if you have more than one-third that stops signing blocks then the changes halts. And this is, of course, uh, of course, quite bad. Um, so the way that this is mitigated is there's actually a limit on how much network stake can be liquid. Um, currently, I think the, the limit in the signaling proposal was something like 25%. Um, and the thinking was, if 25% of all stake is liquid, you would have to have 25% of total stake on bonds in order for the liquid staking protocol to have one third of the network. Um, so you'd have to have basically like a huge unbonding, uh, 25% of all stake would have to unbond for a liquid staking protocol to amass one third. Um, because So there's sort of this safety this safety buffer built in. Uh, I, I don't view this as like a long term solution. Uh, like I said, I think the the incentives around liquid staking will drive it to maybe 80 or 100% adoption. but it is maybe a good check on liquid staking. Well, we explore what the risks are and how exactly we can quantify them. Um, so I, it's more of a, I think, a speed bump than a wall.
1: No, it makes sense. It's a number that both sides can agree upon, right? And and it's beneficial for for the liquid staking protocols because you get past this hump of or this barrier, which is the unbonding period, and it's you know something that. The other side that is maybe more wary of the risks of liquid staking can get behind because, you know, it kind of limits what this, you know, worst case scenario could look like. Um, and that's yeah. super interesting. And so maybe just to, but of course that could change over time, right? It's it's yeah. once people get comfortable with, you know, the way that you guys handled the delegation of stake, see that it's healthy, maybe we can raise that cap beyond 20 and you know, maybe even just lift it completely.
3: Um yeah. So it's just a parameter, um, and because Cosmos chains have governance built in, someone could just put up a governance proposal to raise it, and then after the two-week up period, it would it would be raised. Um, this the second. Uh, there, there's one other safety measure that's built in. Um, so the the second one. So the first one tries to address this governance risk of what if a liquid seeking protocol um, is hacked or tries to attack the chain? Uh, how would that be handled? The second one addresses not liquid staking protocols overall rather it addresses the individual validators that make up the liquid staking protocol Um, and specifically it tries to address the principal agent problem so the idea is that when there's one party the agent that takes actions on behalf of some owner principal then sometimes these parties can get misaligned Um, and this sort of already exists in delegated proof of stake systems but some people think it's maybe a little bit worse in liquid-staking protocols. Um, So the liquidity uh, or the liquid-staking module introduces this thing called a validator bond factor, which forces validators to self-stake some amount if they want to participate in liquid-staking. So currently in Cosmos, if you want to accept delegations, you don't have to put any of your own stake at risk. You can have no skin in the game. Uh, And there are like, off-chain reasons why maybe this isn't totally true, like um, you know, validators, uh, if they attacked a network, there might be legal repercussions, it might be hard to off-ramp funds, Um, but it is a fact today that most validators in Cosmos don't have any uh, skin in the game on-chain, and this thing called the validator bond will force validators to put skin in the game if they want to take part in liquid staking, and it's proportional, so if they want more stake, Delegated to them from liquid staking providers, they'll have to put more skin in the game.
0: Yeah, the that's a, that's a fascinating idea, Aiden. We we honestly haven't gone that much into this topic of bonding and unbonding in this in this season. To be honest, Miles and I are maybe a little bit guilty of focusing a bit too much on Lido, but they're just kind of the dominant uh, liquid staking provider over on Ethereum. And for the original whitelisted set, they do not have they do not require their node operators to post any sort of bond or collateral. I think going forward in the future for other modules in the staking router, they are Going to, it's a fascinating concept that you're getting at here because the principal agent problem has also been a big sort of theme that we've discussed throughout the course of this season. And one one of the things that I want to highlight in just hearing you describe, you know, what you were describing is sort of de-risking major black swan events. So I, I I'm sort of reminded uh, actually of the the recent. Um, merge and Lido's the ability to initiate withdrawals is kind of a de-risking event for liquid staking over in ethereum and i'm wondering if the liquid staking module could ultimately be something relatively similar um i don't know if you have any any thoughts there but i want to get into this idea of principal agent problem mitigation then i actually want to ask you about nfts because Fungibility is another big topic of this season, and
3: I find the NFT approach extremely interesting, actually. I think it is definitely a de-risking event. Um, There are these two very explicit risks that are being mitigated. So there's the governance risk, the risk that a liquid staking protocol decides to halt the chain, and then there's this validator corruption risk. And the the validator corruption risk, quite honestly, is a little bit subjective. Uh, Like I said, no one has really done research into how much skin validators should have in the game in order to mitigate the principal agent problem. Um, we thought through some sort of basic scenarios and uh, we proposed some numbers, but uh, I think that there needs to be a lot more research done in this area. Um, that said, there are, there are still open questions. Um, so two other risks that are not being addressed in the liquid staking module, and I think maybe liquid staking module V2 or some future iteration of this will try to address these. Uh, one is vote power concentration risk. So this is the idea that um, liquid-staking protocols just decide to delegate to the top five validators because maybe that's what users want. Um, And the second is this idea of cascading liquidation on bondings. This is one that uh, Dave from Osmosis has talked about. The idea here is that if you have a liquid-staking token and it's used as collateral throughout the ecosystem, um, if you start to have cascading liquidations, the token might depeg. And when liquid-staking tokens depeg, um, Arbitrageurs will come in and they'll unbond them with the liquid staking protocol in order to get the underlying value of that token. Um, so if you can buy like one ST atom at a 50% discount on the open market, you can go back to stride and redeem it and then get a full atom. Um, so for there's like a 50 cent ARB there on a $1 investment. Um, but the challenge or the, the, the problem there is you might have large amounts of stake on bond and then network security plummets. So there's like these more exotic risks that haven't totally been addressed yet. Um, but to your point, I think like the very basic risks, uh, liquid-staking protocols taking over the chain and um, like the principal agent problem just not being addressed at all, which is the the current state of affairs. I think these very basic risks, this is like the, maybe the 80-20 on uh, liquid-staking risks and these these are being addressed, so I think um, I do see it as a big uh, de-risking event for for liquid staking, and I, I hope that uh, many more stakers will uh, liquid stake after they see some of these risks um, start to be addressed.
2: Maybe one question actually for me in in this scenario that you need the self stake from the validator, is this something that Stride validators will have to provide in? In, in the scenario or, or is Stride actually providing that for the validator? So it has to come from the same address as the validator itself?
3: Yeah, this is a really good, a really good question. Um, it doesn't have, so uh, uh, the, I, I think what you're getting at is, you know, uh, validators need to have skin in the game, but uh, liquid-staking protocols could also just cover that skin um, for the validators. And then maybe the liquid-staking protocol and the validator strike some kind of agreement. Uh, technically, anyone can cover this skin in the game. Anyone can put up the bond. Um, but this was mostly just for the ease of the validators. So we've we've heard from validators that using the key uh, that they that they use to sign transactions for other random things like doing a self-bond, for some of them it's operationally challenging. So um, technically anyone can can put up this stake, but the hope is that it does come from validators and not liquid staking protocols
2: right and and then this certain cell phone has like a higher sort of slashing probability or is like a first tranche or or how do i actually yeah, need to measure?
3: yeah. That, that's another great question um in the first version it doesn't have a higher slashing rate um but i think it's a very broad design space and being the first tranche of tokens that are slashed i think is uh is probably a better design um it's just not built into the the first version
2: Right, right, cool. Yeah, they're very interesting, actually, also for me. <laughs> I haven't, yeah. like, followed it that closely. I think, you know, what's interesting is that, maybe just to comment, because I guess we had these self-bond ratios already in, especially like Tezos, I think basically, like, the first proof-of-stake protocol, which is very renowned to have, like, a 10%, like, bonding requirement for the validators. Um And, and um, I think there, what was interesting to observe is that Validators would like enter into um agreements like off chain with with other Tezos holders like loans to kind of source that self bond and uh, I think that introduces basically in some ways it it sort of um decreases the chances for like smaller operators to even get in this business and, and it's sort of like a little bit of a centralization driver almost because only you know like a large enough entity kind of maybe knows like large Tezos holders or can Kind of create these uh, agreements so i think there are also like sort of downsides in, in these restrictions uh, in terms of like how they impact decentralization which are sometimes maybe overlooked
1: but uh, yeah just a comment yeah it's super interesting because I, i've always thought of the self-bond as like um maybe a higher level of decentralization or risk mitigation um that is has come at the cost of scaling right for something like rocket pool um And now, but at the same time, higher self bond, you know, is super important when you're actually trying to make these validators have skin in the game. Um, And you see this on Ethereum as well, where the slashing penalties are often a teeny fraction of, you know, whatever profit the validator or the proposer has made off of, you know, some malicious activity, right? so, you know, each of these decisions comes very interesting trade-offs and maybe those trade-offs are a little bit different between ecosystems based off of like, you know, choices at the protocol design level, like delegated proof of stake versus totally permissionless and, you know, um, all those, all those pieces. So I think it's really interesting. I'm, I'm learning a lot as well. Um, and maybe just to get back to kind of the user flow. So Aiden, you've let's say I've been holding off, right? For the liquid staking module to finally liquid stake in, in Cosmos because I'm very wary of all these risks. And so I finally, you know, it's implemented onto the hub. I um, use the, some sort of interface I'm guessing to interact with the LSM and basically shift my, you know, native stake to a liquid stake. Um, It, you know, uses some sort of logic potentially to redistribute redistribute my delegation or maybe i don't have to um and now i get an nft right that represents my uh stake and the validator that it's delegated to so what where does stride come in after that and um or or quicksilver or another you know lst protocol um and how do you basically take these nfts and wrap them in a way that makes them fungible again
3: so uh what one minor point i think there are some uh very ideological, um, thinkers. And for those particular thinkers or stakers, I think the main driver of them deciding to liquid stake might be this technical de-risking event. Um, but for most people, I think the reason that, uh, that they would be pushed over the edge to liquid stake rather than natively stake is it just reduces the friction by like an order of magnitude. Um, they don't have to unstake, lose all this yield. Remember to come back three weeks later. Um, they can just go and like try a a little, uh, they can try liquid staking a small amount and experiment with it. Um, so the, the way that the user flow works is if you are a staker on the Cosmos hub, say you're stake to chorus one, you can use the liquid staking module to turn any amount of your stake. It doesn't have to be the entire amount. Say you have a hundred stake tokens. You can turn one of those staked tokens to chorus one into an NFT. That NFT says, um, the reward address that earns yield is your address, say, Miles, uh, and the validator that the token is staked to is course one The reason that it matters that um, the validator is associated with the NFT is different validators have different slashing risk. Um, so, for example, if you're holding one of these NFTs uh, and it's staked to course one and I'm holding an NFT and it's staked to Imperator, Even if it represents the same amount of underlying atom, if my stake is slashed, suddenly my NFT is worth worth less than yours. Um, So this is sort of step one of the flow. Um, You just turn your, your one unit of stake into one unit of NFT liquid stake. Then you IBC transfer it to a liquid staking protocol. Currently, none of the liquid staking protocols are built on top of the Cosmos hub. They're all their own chains. So you could IBC transfer it to Stride or Quicksilver, Persistence, any of these Cosmos um, LSPs, and then you deposit the NFT into the liquid-staking protocol. The liquid-staking protocol has to have logic that understands how to handle these NFTs. Um, one really challenging thing is the validator could have been slashed. So there's this like sort of asynchronous logic where the liquid-staking protocol has to query the Cosmos hub and check. Like, hey, is this NFT actually worth one atom, or was this validator slashed? Now it's only worth 0.9. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of complexity that happens under the hood there, but um, that's the that's the high level flow. And then you just receive an ST atom in return, um, just as if you had staked one native atom with the protocol. And then you don't have to think about it anymore. Your your user journey is done. So you you get your NFT, you bring it over, you liquid stake it, you're out. Um, and that's that's the user flow.
0: Aiden, I have a I have a question for you about this this idea of NFTs and uh, the fu- the fungibility argument that you're getting at here, I think is a really critical one. And it's an idea that Miles and I have poked at a little bit when in some of our more detailed discussions about the staking router in Lido. And one of the questions I think they're wrestling with is, you know, how do you you know, do we eventually want to? And my sense is that they the the folks at Lido are trying to design this in so that delegators can actually pick. Their specific set of validators. Um, the issue is that that kind of breaks fungibility. So there is sort of this technical discussion, as well as should we do this kind of discussion about sort of because uh, you are messing with this idea of fungibility. It seems like this NFT solution that that you have here sort of addresses that. Am I am I in am I right in thinking that, or can you just like redouble down and explain why these things have to be these positions have to be NFTs? Um, And if there's a, yeah, can you you just redouble down on
3: how, where NFTs fit
0: into this, this whole discussion?
3: Yeah, totally. Um, I think, I think it's a good question and there's a lot to unpack there. Um, So one question is why, uh, why build NFT liquid-staking infrastructure into the core protocol rather than some more opinionated, enshrined liquid-staking protocol? Right. Um, A second one is what are different valid designs of liquid-staking protocols? and, uh, you know, on the, on the second one, like a valid design of a liquid staking protocol is just a basket of these uh, these NFTs. Um, so, for example, like someone could just build a very simple liquid staking protocol that doesn't do any redelegations under the hood. And if you deposit your uh, one NFT into this protocol, it's never redelegated. So you're determining the stake distribution of the LSP with Stride. The design actually does redelegate. Um, So if you deposit an NFT of a validator that is not in the set, um, Stride will redelegate or redistribute that stake to the target weight distribution of the set. Um, So there's sort of like a very rich design space there. Um, But uh, in in terms of why this is an NFT and not some uh, fungible token, um, the first thing I'll say is I think fungible LSTs are... Uh, absolutely required. So composability is, I think, one of the most important um, uh, things, one, one of the most important design principles in DeFi. Uh, there's already so much complexity. And if you break composability, I think it just makes uh, running infrastructure and making DeFi work much more challenging. It makes like searchers' jobs harder. It makes protocols Other protocols jobs harder um, because they have to deal with multiple tokens Um, it just it it exponentially raises the complexity of protocols so i would be very very wary about breaking fungibility um, even slightly like even even breaking lst fungibility into like an institutional product and a base product um, i think that is uh it might be a good idea but i think there are lots of risks associated with that um so I think, yeah, I, I, fungibility is is very important. Um, and then maybe the question is like, well, if fungibility is so important, why, why are these all NFTs? Like, this is the opposite of fungibility. Every validator has their own liquid-staking token. Um, and I, I think the design principle here is rather than enshrining one LST protocol, I think building LST protocols is uh, quite challenging, and there's a very broad design space. Um, so rather than like, one protocol trying to build their own and enshrining it. Um, By building this infrastructure, it lets uh, free market participants try and build uh, and experiment with different designs. Um, So I think that's why the design decision was made to build uh, liquid staking infrastructure rather than enshrining a single protocol. Uh, And the NFTs are downstream of that. uh, sort of like an an implementation detail, um, but it's it's also the reason why fungibility I think is less important for the liquid staking module. Uh,
0: absolutely, guys. I I think um, you know unfortunately we we got to wrap up here soon. I guess uh, Felix or or Aiden, sort of any any parting words that you want to leave folks with, um, or or just good way to follow you or, or keep more more up to date with with your work. I know Felix, uh, up until extremely recently, you were the COO at course one where I'm sure you'll be very missed. Um, maybe if you just want to drop some either concluding words or where to follow you, or, yeah, anything like that.
2: Yeah. Uh, thanks again for, for having us on. First of all, I'm sort of like exploring how to continue my contribution to space might also get back into like some more research and, and content around like these sort of topics. So, uh, if you follow me at, at Felix LTS on, on Twitter, you'll, You'll be up to date on that and uh, really enjoyed the discussion. I do think the liquid staking module, generally speaking, is like a great direction, like this enshrined idea and sort of not um, opinionating too much and letting like the aggregation happen on the liquid staking uh, protocol layer is, is a very uh, desirable like kind of direction. And I hope sort of that Ethereum is also moving in that direction um, and learning from Cosmos. Uh, first of all, we have to push it through in Cosmos, I guess, too, but uh, I'm definitely very excited for that. And yeah, thanks, guys, for hosting this this season on Liquid Staking and, and having us on.
3: Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for for having us. Um, I'm Aiden0x on Twitter, and I'd uh, love to chat about uh, more of this stuff if, if it's interesting. Well, thanks, guys. It's been really great uh, getting the, the Cosmos
0: perspective from you here. Aiden is an operator, and Felix is the godfather of Liquid Staking we're gonna, we're gonna make that a nickname for you, Felix. Um, guys, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and, and chatting with me and miles and off to do it again. Yeah. Sometime soon. All right, partner. That was a great one. A lot of fun with Aiden and Felix there.
1: It was really fun because I think we got to dig into really like the origin story of, of LSTs with Felix and then dig into what maybe the Godfather, be, you know, Oh, the godfather, right? So sorry, so sorry. <laughs> Our uh, like definitely not self dubbed godfather, uh, but I'm trying, I'm trying yeah. to do him a favor, right? He
0: can't yeah, ask exactly, no, no. I'm trying to will this into
1: existence, exactly, anymore, exactly. But, yeah. I think it's totally fair, um, and deserved. And then we got a preview of you know what is, I, I would say, like the cutting edge of LST, you know, infrastructure development in the LSM, um, and potentially a preview of you know what this could look like if it was mapped over to, you know, Ethereum and Lido Um, because it does touch on a lot of the big questions that we've been talking about this season, you know, as it relates to delegator stake distribution, um, you know, and how you deal with fungibility and then just really how opinionated the governance of the LST protocol should be. Um, And so, yeah, happy to start wherever you want, but lots to dig into.
0: Yeah. Let's dig into this idea of liquid staking, protocols as a force for decentralization. And this kind of comes down to, I feel like we're going to sound like broken records here, but this tension in between things being permissionless versus the outcome that we want to see. So I broadly see this playing out. So like, let's, let's go back to Lido and the staking router and everything that we've been talking about so far this season. So in order for uh, Lido to mitigate, again, the logic train is it's going to be a winner-take-all market structure. In order to mitigate these calls for self-limiting that Lido has already faced, the road that they're going down is to make the governance of Lido as decentralized, essentially, as Ethereum itself. And that's what the staking router is, is eventually going to do, right? It's kind of this combination of the staking router and dual governance. So instead of just having this permissioned set of node operators, you have expanded it, to many, many different modules, DVT, community, et cetera. Eventually you can envision a world with thousands of specific modules. So that's one approach. The risk that you take with that approach is that what users ultimately end up wanting is not what is in the best long-term interest of Ethereum, AKA having an extremely geographically dispersed and all of those different Uh, criteria that comes into having a decentralized validator set. So the risk that you're running of essentially decentralizing governance and then leaving it up to the users is the users could make a poor decision,
1: right? Yeah. (laughs) I, I would
0: actually say that's pretty likely that that ends up happening. So the other solution is what Aiden was describing, which is having the liquid staking protocols be a stakeholder that has an opinion about what the validator set should look like. And the opinion being a decentralized validator set is better.
1: Yeah, right.
0: And that's an interesting tension. I mean, that I feel like really got pulled out in this in this episode.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, again, a little bit different. The conversation is a little bit different from Cosmos to Ethereum because of this idea that delegated proof of stake is built into the system in Cosmos, right? And so users today already have their ability to pick a validator. And from that, we can see just empirically that leads to a very top heavy set, right? People don't, aren't charitable with their delegations, right? Because they think some grassroots validator is doing a particularly good job in governance or something like that. They might care about that, but they don't care about that as much as safety um, and, and you know, yield essentially. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. They're kind of threading the needle over in Cosmos between, you know, finding a much safer and you know, almost regulated way to mint NFTs, but still, you know, on the other side to make them useful, you have to give them to a protocol like Stride. Um, And Stride will take an opinion on, you know, what a good validator set looks like. And if, you know, you give them an NFT that represents your stake that's been delegated to a validator who is, you know, already above its quota of stake, they will redistribute your stake to a different one that's lower in the set. Um, but if you give them an NFT that is, you know, representative of a delegation from, you know, let's say like the lowest validator in the set that is not part of Stride's, you know, curated set today, they will also redelegate to someone in their own set. Um, and I think it's it's super interesting because, yeah, I guess to your point, you know, where Lido could go is similar. basically a delegated proof of stake model um, where you let the users decide exactly where to delegate, you know, within a module or a particular validator even. Um, But that might not be in the best interest of, of Lido's, you know, growth um, and not in the best interest of Ethereum, the protocol, um, in the same way that Stride believes, you know, it's actually in their best interest to take an active opinion and redistribute some of these, the stake here. Um, And, yeah, I think I think we'll see a lot of iterations and experiments where it's kind of, you know, trying to do either full on one side or full on the other. Um, and yeah, again, I think it's why you should pay attention to Cosmos as a little bit of a preview of what could be coming on the Ethereum side.
0: And I want to continue to draw this connection. So in the Ram episode, we talked about this, this different approach to what a validator should look like as being a defining Difference in terms of how blockchain architectures end up panning out. So the defining difference between Ethereum and Cosmos being in Ethereum land, we want our validators to be our proposers to be dumb and commoditized. In Cosmos land, we want what can your validator do for you? And I want to connect this to we alluded to the the John Charbonneau post that went live uh, before. You know, we didn't really have time to look at it before this recording, but I'm gonna I'm gonna share this. This particular quote, and this comes from Dankrad. And John Sharp was riffing off a, a quote from Sonny that proof of stake was a mistake. And there's a very interesting. Choice that that he chose to, or a, a quote that he he chose to include here. We should establish a social norm here that building on Ethereum, like building smart contract protocols on top, we should almost never touch that. I mean, it would be a very very rare situation. But messing with the staking layer is a different matter. For example, if lots of validators start censoring, we do want the ability to intervene. So I think it would be a good signal to send. Yes, we might be opinionated on what you do with the staking layer, and that might include messing with your protocol and destroying it. Like that very phrase, right, is a very cosmosian sort of phrase to include there. And I I see a lot of arguments sort of starting to shift back around around towards the cosmos side of things of expanding the role of the validator, of having the protocol actually having opinions on what the something like what the validator set for liquid staking protocol should ultimately look like. And if we do accept liquid staking protocols, not as this sort of neutral layer and platform, but instead is a permanent stakeholder with an opinion, then the governance side of, 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 of these protocols becomes extremely important. That's where you have something like Steeth dual governance in the form of Lido, but it's just very interesting.
1: Yeah, no, I think the other theme that you see being kind of uh, more embraced on the Ethereum side is this leaning into the powers of governance um you know i think this is a big a big theme here where if you have you know if you are aligned at the governance level um you can make more opinionated decisions that are you know result in a better outcome um or at least a more healthy protocol than if you were to basically let users decide where the stake goes in a delegated proof of stake way or just make it you know more like ethereum l1's proof of stake where it's completely permissionless to join you know you don't really know who these actors are um and yeah we're starting to see a lot of that these ideas kind of translate back um in in terms of, you know, what your, what your validators could be doing to be more opinionated as well as leaning into governance as a force of decentralization. Whereas, you know, up until I would say like this year governance at the, you know, smart contract level has always been viewed as this existential threat, right. To Ethereum, the base layer for, for protocols that are super close to the metal, like Lido.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And actually that's, that's what John Charbonneau's post is entirely getting into here, right? We're talking about how governance is ultimately going to work and the role of governance on rollups. And I feel like we've talked about this quite a bit, but I think if you want a mental model for how things like governance and staking are going to play out in roll-up land on Ethereum, the best thing that you can do is look at Cosmos. And frankly, what people were talking about in Cosmos six to 12 months ago. Because it's going to be an extremely good roadmap for, for what you're going to look at. And, you know, this, this diagram, if you're following along via video, is, you know, John Charb is comparing different solutions. So delegated proof of stake without liquid staking tokens, liquid staking tokens, liquid staking tokens plus dual governance and proof of governance, and sort of all of the different merits, things like capital efficiency, being permissionless, real-time censorship, resistance and embed protection, et cetera. So these things all exist on a spectrum and what I one of my favorite things about cosmos in general is that one of the benefits of frankly not having as much stake or being as large is that they can be more bold in what they experiment with. You know, this this 20% limit is just such a great example of that, right? Where in Ethereum because there's so much more capital locked up there and the stakes are so much higher, there's a lot of discussion that needs to be had. First, do we even agree with this high idea of a of a limit? And if so, what should that limit be? And we're gonna need months of research in Cosmos, like, yeah, we probably should have one. 20% sounds good. Cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know? it's like well, it's because also like the way that just governance works on both sides, right? Like it's a pretty straightforward process in Cosmos. So you have tokens and you vote with tokens and you can yeah. change that 20%, right? Whereas on Ethereum, it's much harder to say like okay, we're just going to start with 20% and then we're going to have to come to social consensus, you know, all over again, if we want to actually change this thing. Um, and so, you know, any decision you make there because of the way that governance works is just much more permanent in nature, um, or at least, you know, that's the implication. Um, so, yeah, I think, and just to unpack Sonny's tweet there, I think his point is, okay, you, you start with proof of stake, you know, the natural market forces obviously move, you know, make LSTs very, very, you know, attractive in traditional proof of stake. Okay. Everybody stakes with LSTs. Now you basically have a pseudo like proof of authority sort of system, right? Because if the majority of the stake is staked with LSTs and the LST governance is in charge of the distribution of that, you've basically, you know, sacrificed like that, that ability to express an opinion from the protocol layer. Um, and then, you know, but connecting that, uh, that might not be so bad, right? In, in some cases, um, if the, basically the liquid staking protocol is as aligned as possible with, with the base layer chain um, and you add in some sort of, you know, protection like dual governance. Um, but I think, you know, the point is, why don't we from the very beginning start with governance, you know, electing like the validator set, right? Um, and that's where you could, in its most extreme form kind of replace proof of stake with a form of proof of authority that is more controlled through governance um and yeah i think that it's it's interesting that people are finally starting to poke at like these you know almost well-held assumptions that this was the best way to do something and and now we're just kind of you know dealing with the consequences of of that choice but the trade-offs were always you know led that to be the best choice in the first place um starting to poke at that a little bit, especially at the roll-up level, right? And say like a Cosmos chain.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm slightly stealing this idea um, from from Sam Hart, so I want to give him credit here. But I, I do think there's, especially in, in the early stages of a protocol, you can probably scale governance and the decentralization yeah. of that governance with the size and maturity of the protocol, which I think to be fair is what you're seeing in roll-up land. You know, I mean, I don't think you could look at any roll-ups really today and make a particularly strong case that they're decentralized. I think we're all probably okay with that because there's a roadmap towards decentralization and all you have to do is talk to these roll-up teams and y- you will realize very fast that they really do care about that. And it's not lip service or anything. So yeah, I think there are there are pros and cons to all of these different things. And even these buckets here that we're looking at are not necessarily mutually exclusive. And, you know, you, you could probably mix and match uh different parts of these things as well. I, I want to make sure that we get to the idea of fungibility because we we talked about that right at the end, but I feel like it's a critical point of discussion for this season. And Aiden had a very strong perspective there, which is you cannot break fungibility, even though there's this concept of NFTs, which inherently acknowledge that not all positions are fungible, the fungibility of the stake token itself, we do not ever want to throw that into question. And that is, I think, an open discussion over in Lido land with the staking router of allowing uh, delegators to, to connect with certain validator sets. And unless I'm just fundamentally misunderstanding something there.
1: I just think it like undermines the value prop of liquid staking so much that the trade off is never worth it. Um, You know, the whole reason you would want to use a liquid staking token over, you know, replicating some pseudo version of that in, in CeFi is, is that you have this, you know, great DeFi ecosystem where you can go put these assets to work. And if you you know, break fungibility, then all of that goes away, right? So I think that that's too big of a risk. But the real question is, how can you basically go from an NFT that represents your um, stake and your choice of delegation, um, wrap it without actually, you know, I guess, commingling funds or commingling positions, socializing losses of slashing and socializing rewards, you want to keep all of those things, you know, basically NFT specific, but then spit out a fungible liquid t- staking token on the other side. And this, you know, you could see in the long-term, like uh, outcome for Lido or or Stride, this might be a way to just fully pull, you know, governance out of this delegation, you know, stake distribution, like decision-making process. Um, and I think Aiden's point is that's actually not a great thing um, in that if you just... Pull that out of governance, um, or pull that out of the protocol, and give users your choice. Like we already know what's going to happen. We see it on delegated proof of stake and networks already, and like empirically, you're going to get a very top-heavy set. Um, and so that's going to be a very interesting strategic choice because it's like, you know, first of all, technically, can we pull this off? Like, is this a feasible? Can we can we have some sort of architecture that makes this work where the NFTs can get wrapped and spit something out? But then, longer term, should we? You know sure that would allow us to capture institutional users that that's really the segment what we're kind of talking about or, or not explicitly but implicitly talking about right those are the people that care about where their stake is is delegated to the most um but you know that could be at odds with what you know the ethereum foundation would consider like a healthy distribution of stake right um and so the choice is really if an lst protocol is going to more or less you know manage the majority of stake for the network should that be a proof of authority system or should that be a delegated proof of stake system um and i think what Aiden and, and what lido would argue both is that you know we can do a better job um than users and and as long as you know we stay fully aligned with like the, the underlying protocol we can distribute the stake in and in in create a healthier network than it would if we just pulled that out of governance completely but then, of course, you lose that institutional segment,
0: and you increase the uh, principal-agent problem as well. Yeah, right. right. That's where well. The this rem- agent- this
1: this removes the principal-agent problem, but you could see, you know, it's a very clever way to, you know, kind of grow if you're or if you're a Lido um, and and really kind of the counterargument to all these like EF arguments, you know, about self-limiting is, hey, sorry, we're just given the, you know, giving that choice to the users. And this is what the users are choosing. They're choosing to stake with the, you know, the largest validators. And, you know, before you were saying, hey, governance is this huge risk. Well, we've like pulled all of governance's, you know, abilities to be opinionated out. And now you're upset because, you know, you end up with a very top heavy set. So uh, right. I, I, I could totally see that happening. Um, yeah. and And it's like, well, tough. Tough tooties, you know, like this is yeah. what the users want. But I don't think that we're gonna, you know, we, I could totally see it going the other way too.
0: The one point that I would just poke at in terms of fungibility is all of these arguments are correct in terms of pure purely technically what connotes fungibility, but weirdly it's a social choice as well. And let me let me let me give you two examples, which is one this is one we've already talked about but uh bond ETFs bond ETFs are a liquid instrument that should not there's a bunch of non-fungible positions bonds you know that get grouped up into these one this one sort of index that gets that gets traded and everyone sort of knows that the liquidity of the bond ETF doesn't necessarily make sense based on what is actually in there but i think the collective financial world has said, yeah, it's good enough and we're actually just okay with this.
1: I agree. I think that's the exact model that this would look like, right? Because each of those, you know, individual, I would say like bond agreements are, you know, NFTs, right? It is correct. An, agree- they are NFTs. an agreement, an agreement between two entities that is unique versus you know, the same version of that, which is a different agreement between, you know, the maybe one entity, but a different, you know, lender, right? But the risk profile of all of them are roughly in the, in line with each other. And so yeah. you can package it up in a wrapper, right? So that's what <laughs> would be the equivalent of like wrapping all these NFTs and having like one fungible asset on the outside that represents a share of them. Uh, that's what we're talking about, I think. Um, but where it gets really hard is like, what if one of those bonds defaults, right? Um, and then you have to socialize that loss across. Right. Users um, or holders of the of the bond, uh, or do you not, or do you, or can you direct that you know that loss directly at somebody who's holding the underlying asset? So, yeah, I think there's some parallels there that are interesting to kind of tease out.
0: All right, Miles, uh, we got to wrap it here, but I want to give listeners a little bit of a preview in terms of what we're going to do next episode. So, this entire season, we have been going off of a very similar set of design principles in terms of what, frankly, makes a good primitive, right? Which is you know, flattening out and decentralizing your your governance in the form of, of liquid staking tokens and eliminating principal agent problems and not doing anything that resembles vertical integration. And next week, we're going to get the counterpoint because you and I are going to be talking to Sam Kazamian of Frax. And Sam has taken a very different approach in terms of how to uh, conquer this market, um, which... I frankly, I would. Lo- it's always great to get the counterpoint and and hear what Sam's doing because he's got a very interesting um, way that he's organized fracks. So we're going to be hearing from him next week and get the counter- counterpoint for a lot of the things that we've been
1: saying this whole season. That'll be great. Yeah, because I think we could see more of those models too. So excited to get the contrarians' view. Agreed. Our right, partner. Wrap it there. So good one.